Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. Coming up on this week's show, how to stream your gaming ROMs using Plex. A new PS1 game is released after 22 years in the making. And we hear the story of the last ever Dizzy game with the Olivers. The Retro Owl Podcast is brought to you each week with our amazing friends at Bitmap Books. Now, obviously, right now, it's the start of the year. The weather is dark and cold for many of us. If you need something to cheer you up, why don't you treat yourself to one of their amazing visual compendiums covering systems like the Commodore 64, the Amiga, the Spectrum, the Sega Master System, and their amazing new book, Game Boy, the Box Art Collection. You can get them right now from their website, bitmapbooks.co.uk. And welcome to the Retro Hour Podcast, episode number 260, your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news with me, Dan Wood. Me, Ravi Abbott. And me, Joe Fox. And welcome to our weekly, I think it's fair to say, nerd out session all about classic video games. And what I really love about doing this show is not only do we keep you up to date with everything that's happening, all the new developments in the world of retro gaming, but also we are joined by veterans of the industry on each week's show. And we take you behind the scenes of those games that we wasted so much time playing when we were kids. And today we've actually got two incredible guests who have been on the show before, but we thought it was about time that we had a catch up with the wonderful Oliver Twins. Yeah, it's been ages since we spoke to them. Actually, it was 2018 that we really did an episode with the Oliver Twins. So that's quite a while ago, (laughs) isn't it? It was a different world back then. And uh, lots of things have changed. Um, They've even got a Guinness World Record for being the most prolific 8-bit publishers, which is just absolutely wicked. They've redone their website. Uh, All their games are available for free on there to play which is an awesome move. And there's a new and possibly final Dizzy title. Yeah, now this is wonderful Dizzy. And I think, you know, it's important to give a bit of context to people outside the UK. Because I know Dizzy does have fans all around the world, particularly, um, as we find out in this interview, um, in Russia. Dizzy was massive over there back in the day. Uh, But Dizzy here, I mean, he was kind of, in the late 80s, early 90s, kind of seen a bit like the British version of Mario and Sonic. He was a major deal, wasn't he? I remember growing up, I always saw Dizzy everywhere. Like in every single magazine, there was always like the full full page spread of like the poster of him going up like a beanstalk. Hmm. And I just, I remember it so well. And I remember like my cousin had the game, but I've still never actually played it myself. I need to jump on that website well, and play some of them. He's king of the eggs, isn't he? So like the British, British king developers. Of the folk. Yeah. <laughs> they were coming out with like egg based characters for quite a while. And D- Dizzy was like the main, the international egg, wasn't he? He was the one that went around the world. And we spoke to the Olivers early on and they said, yeah, we could draw eggs, you know, <laughs> circles. So they kind of, they went for that idea, but he did really become a mascot of 8-bit computing. What's interesting about Dizzy is, I mean, it obviously started life on the Spectrum 
Uh, but also then, you know, it was on all the major 8-bit home computers. But also, it kind of spanned the generations, really, because you had, you know, Dizzy Games on the Amiga, um, on the NES, which, interestingly, they started developing for the NES when the rest of the world was kind of moving towards the 16-bit platforms. So you got these games that were exclusive on the NES, these Dizzy Games that didn't come out anywhere else. But in recent years, we've seen that they've actually found quite a few games that were, like, you know, lost in their attic they never released. And fans have been doing upgraded versions of them as well. But finally, this is the first new Dizzy game that we've had in over 20, I think it's about 28 years since the last completely new Dizzy game came out. And this is wonderful Dizzy. Now, the aim of this was to make it the ultimate Dizzy game. And you'll find that in this interview. They don't think they can ever really top this. So it's probably going to be the final ever Dizzy game that we get. And also, they've uh, been bought by EA, haven't they? So, oh, Codemasters. <laughs> uh, Codemasters yeah. have. So you know that EA kind of uh, have a bit of a reputation for uh, <laughs> killing off titles. Now, it is great as well because you can actually play Wonderful Dizzy on the original Spectrum, which I think it's awesome that they released it for that platform. Um, and the work with the team that did the Crystal Kingdom Dizzy update, it were like really talented, really met the Spectrum sing. But also, like you mentioned then, Ravi, you can also play it on their website. And, you know, there's kind of a, an embedded Spectrum emulator so you can play it wherever you are, which I think is amazing. I actually sat down and played it on um, a Spectrum emulator on my Migro over Christmas. <laughs> and it played really well on there, actually. So and I've been, I don't know if you guys are the same. I've been seeing reviews everywhere saying, you know, from real hardcore Dizzy fans saying it's their favourite game in the entire series. Oh, yeah. And like talking of Dizzy fans, you know, a hell of a lot of them were involved in this. Like Dizzy fans yeah. are so passionate. They've been redoing the games for years, redoing graphics, making customs versions. So, you know, without the Dizzy community, I don't think these new titles would be coming out. And... uh it's kind of testament to the game that people have such a big following around it, you know. Yeah, and this is really the ultimate title, so everyone should be getting on their website and playing it, and we'll find out the inside story, the making of the last Dizzy game, Wonderful Dizzy, coming up very soon on the Retro Hour podcast. Now, lots of new stories to get into this week. I know you're a big fan of Plex, Ravi. I mean, for people who don't know what Plex is, give us a bit of background. Get Plex now. I'll tell you what Plex is. It's a really, really good service. So if you've got... Um something like a Chromecast or or a device that you can cast your uh, mobile phone to your television, mm. then what you do is you basically, you get Plex, you put it on your PC, you select like your folder with all your movies in or your television programs. What, off your phone? Uh, no, 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 on your PC. So you'd install okay. a Plex server, which okay. is the program. Then you get your phone on the same Wi-Fi network. It connects to the PC. Right, and and then you can use that as just basically the interface to choose it, like the remote control, and then you can cast it to your television. But it does the conversion on the fly. You can do it in any quality. You can even set it up with uh, um, certain programs so that all the new TV <laughs> shows uh, appear straight away, and then you can just cast them off your device. It's a really good service, and that's actually free. But Plex seem to be going into the uh, arcade area, and I. I just love this software, and I think this is going to be really successful. Yeah, because I've got Plex installed um, on my NAS, actually. Um, I've got, I think it's a, a Seagate NAS, and actually there is one of the services you can install on the machine is uh, Plex, so it can run as an always-on Plex server. So I've got a lot of my media on there, and obviously they started doing stuff like... Um, 
ad-supported free movies that you can watch on there recently as well, haven't they, on Plex? Yeah, there's other channels like internet content as well that you can get to add in as well with your personal collection. Like I have 4K movies in there, but I also have VHS rips. You know, it's, it's a full selection of everything, really. And you can get podcasts on there as well. Oh, just of saying, course, you know, if yeah. you want to send the retro hour on there, you can. Uh, but yeah, they're getting into the uh, the streaming arcade game then. So this is kind of like, it looks like they're doing a cheaper version of Antstream by the looks of it. I think this will be much popu- more popular than Antstream just for the fact that Plex has a huge user base already. Hmm. So like they're offering it for free or they're offering it as like two ninety nine for people with the Plex Pass, which is the Plex Pass allows you to basically play this stuff on your phone from your server, yeah. even remotely. Oh, okay. So if you're on your on a bus and your PC's at home and you want to access some of your movies, you can just use that and do that straight away. So, uh, you know, they've got an absolutely huge user base, so they're not going to be going out looking straight away for a user base. I was going to say on the article I'm reading... In the last three years, they've gone from 10 million, 15 million to 25 million users. Yeah, exactly. So they don't have to go out and sell it. They can just say to this 25 million users, do you guys want to download this arcade thing yeah. or, or, or pay a little bit extra? And I yeah. think that could be huge. You know? so well, you- looking at what they've launched with, I mean, it says here it's going to be, apparently you do need a, a Plex Pass to get it for $2.99, or they're going to be charging $4.99 a month, apparently for non-subscribers. So it's not a free edition. You do actually have to pay for the Plex Arcade plugin. Um, but there is a seven-day trial available. But, I mean, quite interestingly, they've kind of launched with the same service that Anstream did, because they launched with the um, the Atari bundle, didn't they? I was going yeah. to say, these all look like Atari games. Like, there's 30, yeah, they are. 30 games coming out. And I was like, I'm sure these are all on the Atari VCS as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's it. So, I mean, this is only the initial um, Atari collection that's going to be on there. You've got, you know, 3D Tic-Tac-Toe, Adventure, Asteroids. I think it is the same one that's on Antstream as well. But what makes this service quite interesting to me is that you can also use your own ROMs on here as well. So that means, you know, if you have got a collection, uh, you know, a ROM-based collection of your games, you can actually put them on your Plex server and stream those games. So really it means that you can take your retro gaming collection with you Anywhere you go. And it's also got like Bluetooth and USB support and stuff for the yeah. DualShock and PlayStation. Yeah. And you're right. You could probably play it anywhere you go if you've got the uh, Plex Pass. So you could probably play it on the bus or whatever. But um, I think the main thing about this is, you know, I've got a setup where I've got Steam and I've got a link to Steam ROM manager and then it loads up RetroArch and it does all of this nonsense. I'd rather actually just pay for this and have it scan my folder, pick the right emulator, you know, have the controller configuration and just boot straight away. Because that's what Plex does. It it just plays multiple formats really well. What's interesting is in these articles, they don't really mention which platforms are going to be supported. It just says, you know, use your own ROMs. Um, so whether it's going to be, I mean, you know, you install some of the front aid arcade emulators, um, or like the Raspberry Pi, for example, you can, you know, kind of pick which systems you want. You just put the ROMs in then, the firmware, and you're good to go. Uh, but with this, I mean, they haven't really specified whether it's going to be that kind of system, whether it's going to be limited to just a few. So that'd be interesting. I mean, you know, if I want to play my Amiga games on here, am I going to be able to do that? Yeah, it, I guess it depends how they've built it. You know, like mm. I'd say the main thing about Plex is any video format is good with. 
So it's got that kind of multi-format approach. But yeah, with stuff like BIOSes and, uh, you know, legal things like that, we'll see. I think it's good as well. I mean, you know, there's obviously been times when we're around each other's houses and like you think, oh, you know, I wish I brought that game with me. It kind of means that, you know, if you've got a game, I want to show Joe, you know, when we're allowed to mix with each other's houses. <laughs> I can say you put your PC or plug, you can play off my Plex or, server. Or, which yeah, is, yeah. Is or even you could go around with your controller to your grands and like cast, <laughs> cast some games on Come on now, let's play some Centipede. Yeah. <laughs> play Resident Evil, Grandma. You'll yeah, love this. You'll love this. <laughs> but I haven't got so. a console and then you just stream the Plex. <laughs> Don't you worry, we'll put Put it on a smart TV. <laughs> <laughs> right, so um, if you're doing a check out that new um, Plex Arcade, it is available now. Actually, you can get a free trial by going to their website, and I'll link that up in our show notes at theretrohour.com. Now, this is a pretty cool-looking game, a new 2D side-scroller called Cyber Shadow. Yeah, I, I really like the look of this. So this came out at the point of recording yesterday, which is the 26th, so it's already out for people to go play. Um, but essentially, this is a classic NES-style game. Um, that's coming out or come out, should I say, on PS4, on Xbox One, Switch and PC. Um, and also, side note, it is on Game Pass as well. So if you are signed up to Game Pass, it's already free on there. So I'm going to download it tonight myself and give it mm. a bash. Um, but this comes by the comes from the same publishers as Shovel Knight, which I absolutely loved. So if, you, if you're if you a fan of Shovel Knight, it kind of already gives you an idea where we're going with this. Um, so it comes from Yacht Club, Yacht, Yacht Club Games. I was like, Yacht Club? <laughs> Yacht Club Games. Um, <laughs> It, it it essentially looks like a really cool Ninja Gaiden like NES game, but the graphics just because obviously it's coming out on modern consoles and stuff just look amazing. Um, but essentially, it's a side along platformer, um, and the reviews are already out and they're absolutely shining reviews. They're saying you know the game's not got a lot of charm, but the actual you know like for story and stuff, but the the gameplay, the graphics, everything like that just looks absolutely amazing. So I'm I'm looking forward to getting my hands on this, and I love good a good old school like platformer like nes or snes style i do i like um if you looked at the wii u they had mm. a Ax- axiom verge which yeah it's a huge title and like the the graphic style is exactly like axiom yeah. verge isn't it yeah yeah axiom verge was really cool that was like a metroidvania style game wasn't it yeah yeah and yeah, it this- had this kind of modern indie but pixel kind of mad side scrolling you know yeah. it's just really yeah, yeah. nice yeah. and that that's what this is as well it's like the the running along you've got your sword and you can jump and wall jump and everything but then you also unlock like you know fireballs and shurikens and stuff like that and you know I, uh, of course you're a ninja you know in the year like 1990x <laughs> <laughs> and you're you're in the uk <laughs> if it was in the 90s and uh you know you'll be a hero in the uk yeah the it, it's the apocalypse and you know um you know, cyborgs have taken over the world and you're a ninja apparently who's like awoken from like, you know, like a hundred year sleep or something. And, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, out saving the world. So and I, I do like that kind of like, you know, like Mega Man, you know, the year is 1990X kind of thing. Um, yeah, just- well, I mean, look, looking at this review here on MSN, I mean, they're kind of saying that they have, there's a lot of elements in here of all those classic games. Yeah. I mean, he says, you know, there's a boss fight in there that could have been ripped straight out of Mega Man 3. Oh, really? But then he said there are there are some parts in here that make it feel like you're playing a side-scrolling Zelda game, you know, yeah. some kind of RPG elements as well. So it does kind of feel like it's a, a homage to all those uh, classic NES games, I guess. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to check it out. I'll give my thoughts on it next week. But yeah, Cyber Shadow, check it out. Now, the Acorn Electron was uh, an interesting machine. This was, weirdly, the Acorn Electron's a machine that got me into retro 
It was, but uh, you didn't treat it very well, did you, Dan? You ru- <laughs> you, you, you ran one over with your car. <laughs> oh, is this the infamous? <laughs> is this oh, the inf- my. oh my days! I forgot about that. Didn't your next door neighbour bring it round as well? It's just like yeah, I, I think that happened. I think you left this on the drive, mate. <laughs> You know what? I actually feel like, um, you know, if there's like a, an RSPCA for computers, I'd, I'd probably get done. It's one of those adverts um, where like every, every time they click the flingers like that, it's like every five minutes, Dan Wood drives over an old PC. <laughs> <laughs> Please sponsor today for two ninety nine a month. <laughs> Supported Electron. And if you're listening, um, it wasn't a deliberate move. It was a mistaken one. Listen to previous episodes for the story. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I did get an Acorn Electron in about 1996, I think it was. Mm. So, you know, even then, like, you know, mid-90s, I was kind of <laughs> looking back to retro stuff. And I got, like, a tape deck with it, played, like, um, we had all the, the Acorn soft games with it as well. And, I mean, for people who haven't used it, the, the Acorn Electron was really a cut-down home version of the BBC Micro. And we've done, you know, episodes about the BBC Micro in the past. Uh, check out the episode of Steve Ferber. That was really, really interesting. Um, but then I have neglected the Electron quite a lot. Um, you know, I moved out, went away to university and left it in my parents' attic. And then when they moved out about four years ago now, I um, I went up in the attic, brought it back down, and it completely rusted to hell. All the motherboards disintegrated inside and everything. So obviously it doesn't work. And then I brought it here, moved house, and then accidentally reversed my car over it. Um, it is still in one piece, though, bizarrely. You know, it's a tough little machine. The car came out worse. <laughs> if I ever do want to get it working again... Um, there is a possibility I could connect it up to a BBS using Wi-Fi now then on the Acorn Electron. Yeah, this is mad because like the Acorn Electron's only got uh, 32 kilobits of RAM. So, you know, like all the kind of processing and stuff that you need for like getting online um, is is going to be a really high load, and especially on the uh, CPU as well. So, um, you know, before I think they had the 9600 baud modems, but these are actual cartridges. So um, somebody, uh, Roland Lures, has created a, a cartridge module that basically adds Wi-Fi. So uh, what you do is you s- stick the cartridge in. It will do the whole uh, connecting to Wi-Fi TCP stack as well, which you need. And it just takes that load off the CPU and it kind of, stays within the cartridge which is really interesting i love connecting these old machines up to kind of uh you know new modern things like wi-fi you know it is a bit of a hobby of mine and you know i've done a load of videos about it on youtube um getting these really old machines online you know i think i'm looking around me now pretty much every machine i've got here in my nerd den is uh is online you know i've even got one of the um the y modems for the Commodore 64, which looks like it's a kind of similar thing. It plugs in the cartridge port, and um, then you can kind of use that with your modern Wi-Fi, and the computer thinks it's a, an old-school modem. You're not going to be watching YouTube on your Acorn Electron using this, but it does mean you can dial into um, bulletin boards via Telnet. Ah, uh, yeah, because I was going to say, like, does it have a browser? And I was assuming probably not. <laughs> You're going to have to just go onto bulletin boards, or, or yeah, like you said, Telnet as well, because most things have Telnet. Yeah, I mean, you could use something like Lynx if it's available. I mean, there is actually a few BBSs that give you kind of a, a Lynx interface, which is a text-based web browser. So then you can access websites, you know, text-only without graphics. And actually, that works surprisingly well for, you know, sites like forums, actually, um, and some news sites, you know, strip out all the graphics and all the crap, and you can just get to the articles. So sometimes it can be a good way of looking at it. But, um, 
the fact that you can just get these old machines online, I think, is really cool. Because I, mean, I used to read a lot when when I was a kid about you know the world of online. Um, and the fact that one day you'll be able to do your banking on the internet and you can check out the cinema times and everything. And it always felt so just something that was out of reach, really. So I think when you can actually get online on these machines that you had as a kid, it's kind of like a bit of a journey completed kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think your Acorn needs some love done. So this might be <laughs> something that you need to get for it to make up for your uh, attacks. <laughs> I, I think I should just get a new one. There's yeah. no hope of getting that thing working again. No chance. <laughs> eBay flat Acorn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the collector's edition now. Yeah. We've been run over by a car and survived. Now, uh, maybe you're a PlayStation 1 fan and you're itching for a new game at the moment. Uh, this is a game that was first developed back in 1998 and pitched to publishers Never went anywhere, but now, 22 years later, it's finally been released. And this is Magic Castle. Yeah, this looks really interesting. Um, it's kind of like a isometric, kind of a Diablo-looking kind of game, kind of Gauntlet Legends kind of looking game. But yeah, 1998 this was made um, and never got picked up by anybody. I'm not too sure who developed it. Um, it doesn't actually say in the article that I've read, but it it's, just says a team of developers in Japan. Just says a team of developers in Japan. You know, fair enough. Um, but yeah, it, it looks really cool. Apparently, it's like a dungeon siege kind of game. You you go up twenty levels in a castle. And you're trying to save the princess from an evil warlock. You know, and you can pick whether you want to be like an archer. Um, you could be a knight, a wizard, or a fighter, and you level up as you go through the game. But it looks like quite a nice ps1 game like it i'm not mm. too sure why this hasn't been picked like why it didn't get picked up because the graphics look really cool the gameplay looks really cool and i i loved like gauntlet and stuff like that you know during you know the ps1 and the gamecube kind of era so not too sure why it didn't get picked up but it does look cool and apparently the um the source code it was unfinished at the time yeah but some magazines to kind of reviews well previews of it, mm. I guess it would have been. Um, and looking at the comments on the the YouTube video they've posted, a lot of people are like, oh, I remember reading about this, and okay. you know, I was kind of, you know, I've been, <laughs> I looked at this when I was a teenager. I'm 60 years old now. It's finally here. Some <laughs> say that. Um, but yeah, they finished it off. I mean, apparently one of the original designers, he actually tracked down the source code. He found okay. it. And he's like, oh, well, I'm going to finish that. So, uh, you know, I do love the line here. And you thought Cyberpunk 2077 took a long time. Um, but yeah, it, yeah 22 I'm, years I'm, later, you can actually play it. I'm expecting this to be the best PS1 game I've ever played that, you know, 22 years of development. <laughs> well, it, it looks really early. PS1 as well, doesn't it? it? It it looks like one of those early PS1 titles. It's oh, I like... thought it, I thought it looked quite good, but 98, so it's kind of like mid PS1, isn't it? Yeah, and if you want to try it out, actually, they've uh, just given it away, so you can download a copy of it. Um, either you know, if you've got an, an original PlayStation that can run burnt discs, um, or you can run it via an emulator as well. What's cool is they've given the um, the demo version that they showed as a pitch back in 1998. So you can play that version as well, or you can play the completed one oh, that's, that's just cool. been finished off last week. So, um, yeah, it's good to get an insight and kind of... I, I do love it when people do that. I mean, you know, it, it kind of seems to be a bit of a theme recently that we've been talking about on the show, especially with these kind of lost beaters and stuff that have come out and then people getting them working. I think, especially when you read about something and it never surfaced back in the day. So, I mean, you, you know, look <laughs> at these comments here. There will have been some kid that looked at that and thought, oh, my God, that game looks so I good. And went into his local game shop every every weekend looking for it that was definitely me <laughs> that, that was me with most amiga titles and then <laughs> yeah they never came out. just never came <laughs> no i do i like the look of this i, I want to check this out um maybe for the after hours podcast i'll check this out 
Yeah, well, we'll talk more about that in a minute because we've got a bit of a challenge we're going to be doing this weekend for our uh, patrons-only podcast. So uh, more on that coming up next. Just before we do, um, limited run games have um, been busy again over the last couple of weeks. Now, uh, they've actually republished a couple of real classics that I know. I bet Joe's got this in his collection. Night Trap <laughs> on the Mega CD. You know you've got that, Joe. I have got Night Trap. This this looks awesome. I do like Limited Run. Um, I've, I've never actually bought a Limited Run game um, just because I'm really scared of like import tax because of uh, the last time I bought anything from America, I bought a couple of T-shirts and I had to pay like 36 quid. Like yeah, it's bad at the something. moment, isn't it? Yeah, so I, I, I've I've been too scared to buy anything, but this does look cool. So we've got Night Trap and Ground Zero. Uh, Ground Zero, te- is it Ground Zero Texas or is it just Ground Zero? Yeah, Ground Zero Texas. Ground Zero Texas. Uh, te- Texas? Ground Zero Texas um, have been re-released on limited r- uh, run games. They've come out this week for Sega CD. Um, this looks awesome. Um, they've done like a like I, I don't even know how you explain it like an ultimate premium collector's edition of them both so obviously you get a sega cd version of the games uh, but with the night trap one you also get uh the film on blu-ray uh but what i really like is the blu-ray disc comes in a vhs box so <laughs> nice <laughs> <laughs> um, so as well as it all coming in like a big like metal tin you get the game you get the full film on uh vhs slash blu-ray you get a 24 inch poster of the lady with her boobies out you also get a, co- a commemorative coin, metal coin as well, uh, an enamel pin, and the original soundtrack and CD for Night Trap as well, and that's for eighty nine ninety nine. Which um, isn't bad actually. Which for all isn't that. isn't bad at all. Eighty nine ninety nine dollars. That's not bad because of the game itself. Complete is about thirty forty quid anyway in the UK. Hmm. Um, so and it's not the easiest game to come by. So if you do want to get it, in, you know, in a really nice box, I'm even tempted. But then I was thinking about the import tax and stuff. And I've been on the website. If you just want the game as well, it's $39.99. Right. Um, Ground Zero Texas is a little bit different. Um, comes in the nice box, but you get, you get uh, in terms of the extras, you obviously get the game, you get the soundtrack, you get the poster, but then you get a mini license plate and you also get the full game script, the script of the game. Um, that's a little bit cheaper at $69.99, but once again, you can buy just the game on its own. Uh, for thirty nine ninety nine, but I love that they come in the American style uh, NTSC boxes for Sega CD. Yeah, um, you know those tall plastic, like you know, like they look like the Sega Saturn ones. I really like those ones. Well, what's interesting about this is like um, we talked about the original Night Trap and how mm. that was filmed using like professional film cameras, uh, like a mm. movie set. So that's yeah. how they've been able to do the Blu Ray. And kind oh, of okay. produce that, you see. But also they're saying here for um, uh, Ground Zero Texas, which I don't know if you've played it, um, it was really bad. Like like the quality... That doesn't surprise me at the all. The quality on the Sega CD <laughs> and the 32X was really low quality, but they also filmed that like a film um, kind of cinema set. So yeah. there's, there's a new group, um, Screaming Villains, and they're releasing a PS4 remaster so you can actually pre-order a, a physical edition of that as well, which is uh, Ground Zero Texas, but they've redone all of the stuff. And um, there's a really good clip of it. It looks it looks awful. It's like, um, it looks like the Power Rangers to me. Oh, like okay. Power I've Ranger played. aliens kind <laughs> I've, of land I've in never Texas. played it. <laughs> I've never played it. Like, I'm really familiar with Night Trap, but I was like, I know we've mentioned Ground Zero Texas on the show before, but I've never seen it or pl- like seen any footage of it or anything, so... I don't really know. Is yeah, it, is it's it... another one of these 
really FMV awfully games. acted FMV kind of time. Right up Dan Street then. <laughs> yeah, but I, but that's coming to the PS4. So I think, you know, there's there's been, uh, there'll be a Night Trap remaster, I think, because they uh, the, the, have the, the Night Trap remaster they already did. They did it about a year yeah, ago. About, yeah, um, we went them on, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I remember he was telling us about the um, Blu-ray, actually. Oh, I forget who we have on this show. God. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, so they've already done the Night Trap one before, but it was just the game and the Blu-ray, I think like separately um but now obviously you can get like the full shabam kind of thing do you think they're going to start doing this with all of the sega cd titles that they recorded in that way because i think so because they recently did corpse killer as well yeah and Uh, like i would say like night trap that's a huge title everyone knows it but grand zero texas nuclear edition what yeah (laughs) you know On, on, on boxing day they did a limited run games did a big sale and i was sat i had it on my phone um, waiting for it like to I was like you know kept on refreshing it because I really wanted to get Corpse Killer and it was like $20 in the uh, in the sale and literally like I missed it by like a minute and it was sold out straight away so right, I bet, like Sewer Shark's going to be one yeah they've, Sewer they've Shark probably be on there do. for sure yeah, yeah. Um, what's the other one with Mark Hamill in what's that one Oh, God, I can't remember. It's like Space Commander or something. I can't remember, like, I can't remember yeah. what it is. <laughs> I, I loved also the um, the Tex Murphy uh, laser mm. laser game FMV ones as well, like Mad Dog McCree and, yeah, and Crime yeah. Patrol and stuff. Like uh, That's what Grand Zero Texas um, reminded me of, that kind of Mad Dog McCree shooty style, really bad acting, guys dying like, oh, you know, yeah. that kind of style. <laughs> But you remember seeing those as a kid and how impressive they were just because it was real video oh, on a, I'd on a still video think game. They're impressive. I mean, <laughs> e- even though they've got that NTSC kind of like washed out 80s look, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> so much nostalgia for them. Uh, you know what? Funny you should say that. I remember being my ki- a kid and uh, my cousin had a Sega CD and he showed us. Um, I'm going to embarrass myself again. I can't remember the name of the game, but it's one where you play as a firefighter and you have to go into like blazing houses and like navigate through the house and save like you know save the people from the house and i remember thinking i was like five years old and i was like this is crap (laughs) and he was like it's like real life and i was like yeah but you just press left or right (laughs) was that fahrenheit or something yeah that's it yeah 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 that's the one and i just remember thinking this is crap but maybe i should get a night trap and i mean i've got it on sega seed anyway but you've worn out your copy joe don't lie (laughs) never played it well i I still think mortal kombat original is photo real Realistics. Yeah. <laughs> it's like real life. <laughs> well, I actually um, put up a shelf in my office with my uh, Mega Drive, my Mega CD, oh, wow. all set up, ready to D- go for D- this the weekend. Wicked. There you go. So um, if you want to hear more um, exciting things that we've been up to, like putting up shelves, you can check out <laughs> our uh, patrons-only podcast where uh, we record it every couple of weeks and we talk about what we've been doing in you know our, our retro lives throughout the week. And also we uh, set each other little challenges from time to time. Now, this weekend, we're going to be giving each other a couple of games that we love that each of us have never played. So I'm going to recommend one for Joe and Ravi that they haven't played before that I think is really good vice versa we're all going to do it and then we're going to kind of do little mini reviews of it aren't we so this is going to be a little interesting experiment to kind of see how much our gaming tastes kind of gel with each other i think i i'm really looking forward to this i'm I'm keep trying to like sneak in really expensive games like i was like i sent one to dan and i was like oh yeah ravi said that he wants me to play this one dan so it's it's an excuse (laughs) for me to buy it it for you (laughs) what one copy in the world (laughs) it was actually an arcade one up uh 
thing for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So I was just like, yeah, we'll, we'll just, we'll, I'll just buy that. No, I can just keep it after. No, um, I, 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 yeah, I think it's good because, um, you know, we've all got different choices and it's like, I, I also think we all, all want each other to enjoy it. So we're not going to like drop hmm. any clangers in, but who knows? Yeah. You know what? I've been torn. I've been like, should I send them over something I really want them to play and enjoy? Or should I send over something like a proper clanger? Like Eyes of the Robots too. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's a good choice, actually. <laughs> yeah, but we've all played it. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, not for very long, I must admit, but yeah. <laughs> See, that's the thing. When we do this, I think the rule is, you know, you, can't, you have to play it in depth. Because, you know, we're going to review these games. So imagine you're doing like a magazine-style review. You're probably going to devote a good couple of hours to kind of getting into it. And, I, I'd uh, say you know, get as far it. as you can with a good effort. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. that's a good way uh, to kind of gauge and then we'll see people's opinions of the game it should be interesting because we've all got different memories and different associations uh with games from our kids and you know sometimes you look at stuff with rose tinted glasses don't you yeah so absolutely well that's just one thing that we cover on the retro hour after hours podcast we recently did our um, top five games of all time we did our uh, favorite consoles that we talked through as well to try and guess each other's and the way you can get access to our second podcast that comes out roughly every two or three weeks is by becoming a patron of the retro hour podcast and uh, not only do you get access to that you can also join us for our patrons hangout that we do once a month as well there's going to be one of those coming up on the uh, first sunday of february um, and also a few other perks. You get the show early sometimes, you get it ad-free, but really you get the satisfaction of knowing that it's thanks to you that this podcast can continue to come out every single Friday and you've become part of this show's history. And of course, for doing that, you will get a mention on a future episode in the Retro Hour Hall of Fame. Like this week, a massive thank you to the amazing David Welsh, Rob Fairfield, Richard Wodehouse, Sam Rhymes, and Mr. Jan who all made donations into the running of the show and backed us on Patreon. Massively appreciated, guys. Thank you so much. And if you can find it in your heart to do the same, we'd really appreciate that. You'll find it on our website at theretrohour.com. And also, a uh, quick heads up as well. We've not had many reviews on the Apple Podcast recently. I think we've had, like, what, two in the last six months? Yeah, yeah. It really <laughs> helps, guys, if you do... Um reviews yeah. on apple podcasts and uh if even if they're bad <laughs> at least uh medium <laughs> three stars or less don't count don't bother acorn abuse <laughs> yeah apart from the acorn electron fans i do apologize but yeah like ravi said all these reviews that we get um on itunes uh, our apple Podcasts, as it is now i mean that is kind of the main platform that gets us into the charts and uh we want to take down gardener's question time this year so the only way we can do that <laughs> is uh, thanks to your support on that platform. So leave us a review, give us a five stars, helps us get up the chart in front of new people as well. All appreciated. Right, next time we are going to get the story of what looks like it's going to be the final ever Dizzy game. 1987 to 2021, and what a game to finish with. Wonderful Dizzy. The inside story on that coming up next with the amazing Oliver Twins. A new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. 
Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. You're listening to the Retro Hour Podcast, and it's time to welcome on this week's very special guests, and we're always honoured to have our guests this week on the show. And actually, it's been a couple of years since we last spoke to the Oliver Twins, so let's welcome them on, Andrew and Philip. Oliver, welcome to the show. Hi, Dan. Hi, and thank you very much. It has been a while since we last had you on, but of course, we're going to be catching up um, about the long-awaited new Dizzy game that is out now, and it's completely free, wonderful Dizzy. Now, we did do an entire history of Dizzy with you a couple of years ago, which, you know, if people missed that episode, I'll put it in the show notes. But now, the first completely new Dizzy game in 28 years is here. And what's the reaction been like to Wonderful Dizzy then, Andrew? It's been absolutely fantastic. Uh, I mean, we've talked about it for years and years, like doing a new one. Um, It came about because of the Spectrum Next. There's a real resurgence and people have got very fond memories. And we thought, well, actually, yeah, we've got fond memories too. And we'd like to create a new Dizzy game. And it's fantastic to see all the buzz on the internet about this new one. Well, interestingly, last time we spoke to you was at Play Expo. And um, that was in 2018. And you were on previously for the... um uh, Mystery World Dizzy launch as well. So a lot's happened since then. We noticed you've got a new website as well, the OliverTwins.com. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The um, the old one was um, definitely uh, creaky. Um, it had lots of problems with it. Uh, I mean, back in, I don't know, around 2000 or something, when you could sort of start buying websites, we decided to buy OliverTwins.com just to make sure that somebody else didn't kind of pick it up. But having bought it, we then had to sort of put something on it. And initially it was just kind of up loading a word document with um, some bits and pieces just to sort of hold hold the space but then um, at blitz games um, the web, de- web developer um, managed to uh, create uh, an html um, based p- page with lots of great content and everything the only problem was that uh, you have to be uh, a brilliant uh, html programmer to actually um, play with it edit it and update it which we couldn't do um, so, so it basically never been updated from I don't know what Andrew about 2012 or something hadn't been updated. Yeah, I think that was probably the last update. And we always said well, it's a bit creaky. I mean, it is historical in retro, so therefore your history doesn't change. But you do look back on it thinking, well, we didn't really put very much content on there, and we did an awful lot of um, researching for the book that we created, and we had m- masses more that we could have put in that we couldn't put into a book and you can't put video clips and all sorts of things. And so we always said, oh, after finishing the book, we could do this really, really well on a website now. And the, the website things, um, the new WordPresses and particularly Wix, we decided to go for Wix. It's just so powerful and so easy to use. But then we had so much content. Uh, so we knew it was going to be a big job. And we sort of said, you know what? If and when we get a chance, if we get any downtime, we'll uh, create a, a website and put all this stuff on there. You know what? It's it's one positive you can look back on like twenty twenty with the coronavirus is it did give some people more time stuck at home. Um and that's pretty much what <laughs> sort of happened is as we went into lockdown, we kind of joked, well, what are we gonna do? Because we can't do the company visits and the university visits that we were doing. So it's like, well, we could go and do that website. 
Um, and that lockdown lasted longer and longer. And so the website got bigger and bigger. Um, but yeah, we're very proud that we put all that work into a website. And you can play all of our games for free on all the different formats, all within the webpage. It's kind of cool. Well, that's amazing because also you guys have a, a Guinness world record that um, you've had since you've came on the show. So tell us a bit about that because, you know, you've got your whole range of games on there. And uh, this is definitely related to that. Well, yeah, I mean, that came about because um, in doing all the research, I mean, we always knew that we made a lot of games, um, but we never really sort of stopped to count them, um, especially when you cross, go across all the different formats. Um, and we knew that we created an enormous number of 8-bit games. Um, again, hadn't counted them. It was only when we did the book, there's um, one particular chapter in the book about looking back on uh, what we achieved. Um because when we were down in the trenches making those games, we weren't really sort of studying uh, like what was happening and, and counting everything up or whatever. So there's this chapter looking back. And in that looking back chapter, we sort of do all the, uh, the, the, the adding up of all the different games on all the different platforms and who converted what and all this. Um, and in fact, we got to around um, 50 games that we created on 8-bit computers. And and we put that in the book because we thought that's that's quite a good bit of extra information. And then it was picked up by the editor of um, the games section of the Guinness World Records um, who contacted us and said, think that might be a really good record. Um, and obviously, we're already very proud of those very early games. I mean, creating games on 8-bit, it's really tough with the memory um, constraints and the speed constraints and everything. So to be able to sort of create entertainment that is so fondly remembered so many years later uh, is something we're very proud of. Um, And so obviously we said to this researcher, it would be fantastic if we could get it, but you better go and do your research and check if anybody else has beaten us. Um, and after a few weeks, they came back and said, no, it does look, with lots of Googling, it does look like we can give you the award for having created the most number of 8-bit games of anybody in the world. That is such an achievement as well. That's, you know, incredible. I mean, kind of getting back to those early games as well. I mean, we're going to be talking about Dizzy today. Talking about the first Dizzy game that was released back in 1987, why do you think that character has stood the test of time for so long? It's very unique. Um, and at that point, um, games, there was a few different games of inspiration that we were looking at, text adventure type games, and then graphics were coming on board. But you had Manic Miner and Jet Set Willy and those sort of things. And they are remembered by by a lot of retro fans, but they were based on just jumping the right number of pixels to get across ledges and platforms. Ours was story-based, and like when you read a book, you imagine sort of more more than is able to be um, conveyed. Um, I think a lot of people sort of read more into our stories than was actually available in like 32k um <laughs> like the graphics were quite basic but the stories that they talked about was um showing a bigger world and this heroic character who was there to try and rescue people and i think it was just very nicely remembered fondly remembered it played quite well it had nice stories and kids because it was very much a kids product so kids grew up with it um and it stayed with them and i think that's a really nice thing i mean i remember the cartoons i used to watch on tv i I was quite fond of scooby-doo and the funny thing is that's been going for years and years but it was just there's certain age when i don't know you're kind of eight or nine things 
think things like that really stick with you. And you know, one of my favourite titles was uh, "Fast Food Dizzy," and <laughs> that's actually coming out on the Switch, right? Uh, yeah, we have written it. That that was because uh, that lockdown got extended. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was the su- that was the summer holidays. Um, yeah, again, um, like we've been doing consulting for companies, and there was like you're not really supposed to travel too much. So the consulting that we were doing ended up being a lot of a lot on Zoom, and suddenly you end up with a lot more time on your hands because you can do a few Zoom calls. Whereas before, we'd be travelling down to. Bristol or Nottingham or Leicester or something and it sort of wipes out a whole day even though you only have an hour or two meeting um the zoom call you've got lots of time around it so um yeah one of the companies that we were consulting with uh, was making a programming platform for the switch so that anyone can write switch games and share them with their friends and it's kind it's, of like, it's called fuse it's, it's called, called fuse. fuse and it's like the next level on from scratch and we, we just love that idea and we've been working with this company and saying well what you need to do is get a couple of high profile titles that work really well that that are, are kind of like recognizable ip but not something you've paid a lot of money for that people can go in and see the code and play with it and muck it around and and the guys were going, oh, what, like one of your old Dizzy games? It's like, yeah, well, kind of. Um, but we don't want to do a full adventure. And they're going, yeah, but we want something like a Pac-Man or something. And it's like, yeah, well, we did something like a Pac-Man, actually. And <laughs> it was one of those things that the sort of consulting ended up us going, you know what? We've got time. We'll just write a game. <laughs> so we wrote Fast Food on the Switch and it can be freely shared. Don't you think the Switch is just a perfect platform for these retro titles to feel at home on? I love playing them on that. It just worked so well. I mean, uh, we absolutely loved it. I mean, it started off with us going, okay, well, we'll like Fast Food Dizzy because it's got the name and it's just a Pac-Man clone and stuff. So then it was like, well, what sort of style graphics do you do on a Switch? And it's like, actually, it's really high res and it's really powerful. And we thought we'd start with Amiga graphics, but then um, there was a fan who wanted to do updated new graphics and did them so, so brilliantly. We tried to keep it 2D, but again, the Switch is so powerful, we were kind of like pushed into 3D. We stayed off. We're saying we're not doing 3D modeling. We are not getting down to that. Um, we're trying to do an educational, fun piece here. Um, but we've ended up like doing lots of zooming in and out sort of around the map. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's lovely. And it's um, it's it, I, I've always loved the Switch and I've always loved Nintendo games. Um, but yeah, it, it can work really well and it does work really well. Well, talking of Nintendo games, last time we spoke to you, um, you were doing Mystery World Dizzy and uh, Dreamland Pogi, which were kind of titles that previously weren't released on those systems and they came out. But now you're doing a, a brand new Dizzy title. Can you tell us more about it? Yeah, so very quickly for the listeners, um, I mean, there were, t- towards the end of Codemasters, uh the, the consoles came out and the Nintendo and we started writing Nintendo games. So we left the Spectrum Commodore kind of 8-bit computers to go to 8-bit consoles where most people went 16-bit on the ST and Amiga. So we wrote games for the Nintendo, but they were kind of unlicensed and there was a little bit of um, uh, legal hassles and stuff, which is why ultimately we left Codemasters. But it meant that we'd written games, some just about got out the door like Fantastic Dizzy and some were kind of held up being um, because of legals. And so they never came out. But then years ago, or like, I don't know, whatever it was, six or seven years ago, we found these masters in the loft and thought, you know what? 
like let's just publish them and uh let's just get them out there and we'll give some money to charity because we had to sell them because we had to make the cartridges so we found some people to make the cartridges so it was just a way of getting games out that had been written but never actually published um anyway um but yeah those were the old older games that we'd written I have to say, though, um, the fact that um, all those games, and there were 11 NES games in total, and the last four had never been released, but they have now been released, and that was uh, Wonderland Dizzy, uh, Dreamworld Poogie, Panic Dizzy, and Mystery World um, Dizzy. Um, they, they managed to get out there, which is fantastic, but, of course, we also had um, Evercade approach us to actually create an Evercade cartridge of all of our NES games, all 11 games on a cartridge, and release them on the Evercade console, um, which is so cool because, I mean, if, if you've seen an Evercade and played with an Evercade, it's like a, it's like a Switch, but, for, but purely for retro games. Uh, and it's really beautiful to have those games all so easily accessible and playable in a portable format, but also throw an HDMI cable in it up to a big TV, and you can still see and enjoy all those games that were written so long ago from for an old system, but actually now on big HD t- uh, TVs. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's quite funny, actually, because we've got an Oliver Twins cartridge with however, how many games is it? 11, 11 games. Yeah, and you could just go through and just play them all. And, um, yeah, it completely sold out. It was on Amazon. It completely sold out. So there's been a bit of a wait. But I think they've just um, – like this was all just before Christmas. But I think they've just restocked. Yeah, I believe so. Um, I have to say, it was it was one of the best ga- one of the best cartridges on the system. I mean, obviously that's inc- uh, incredibly biased, but, but that's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, they had things like the Namco collection and the Atari collection, and those actually predate ours a bit. So you you've got sort of all the classic, um, I know Atari games and and things like that, um, yeah, but, but, but all the really early ones. I was going to say, some of them are a bit too early, uh, where the, the graphics are just so blocky and so crude. Um, and then you've got some games which are later than ours. They're sort of 16-bit games. So ours kind of hit a nice sweet spot that they are really good retro 8-bit, but high-quality 8-bit, um, sort of the end of the 8-bit Anyway, era. question, Philip. Question. Yes, we didn't answer the question, did we? No, the question <laughs> was about the new one. Come on, you, you did Absolutely. a lot of design. So you talk I, about I the design of the new one. Oh sure. Okay, so um, the so it it, it um, came about because um, on Easter Day, which I think it was uh, twenty seventeen, um, I got I saw a message saying that a new Dizzy game had been released, and it was uh, Crystal Kingdom Dizzy, but completely rewritten from scratch. And I had a quick look um, on on the website and stuff, and I was kind of. It, it very impressed at the quality of it and the fact that some fans would completely recode and redo all the graphics and redo all the music from scratch to create a game that we'd already created. So anyway, I showed it to Andrew um, and we were just talking about it, saying that these guys are so talented, but it's a shame that they've the one thing they haven't done is a new design um, because actually everything else is amazing about it. And then we were saying, God, if we did a design for them and gave it to them, then they would do a stellar job of it. They'd be amazing. Um, so I contacted them and sort of complimented them on on how good the game was and and inquired if we ever did a, a new Dizzy game design, would you code it for us and do all the graphics and, and the music and everything? And they said they'd be honoured to. Um, 
and then at exactly the same time, uh, the kicks the Kickstarter was um, had just gone live for the Spectrum Next, and we were thinking, well, here's a Spectrum Next. It's all about Spectrum. Um, we could, uh, we want to help the Spectrum Next campaign because it's a really cool idea that um, Henrik and people have come up with and we want it to su- succeed. So maybe our contribution to helping it succeed is to say that we'll produce a new Dizzy game uh, for this machine. If um, the Kickstarter goes through. Yeah. Um, and we kind of knew at that point that it probably would happen, but it w- we also knew that this would push us into doing it because, I mean, it's still a lot of work, even without the code and the graphics, it's still a lot of work doing the design. Um, so we um, put out this uh, fun little video saying that we would do a, if if the uh, Kickstarter uh, stretch goal was reached, that we would do a new Dizzy game um, f- for it. Um, and we hadn't really at that point conceived of what the idea would be for it we knew that the, we had these uh, hobbyists the people who had written crystal kingdom dizzy remake on board with the with the idea but we didn't know what it was going to be and actually having done the video and put it out there um and got lots of people excited that there was going to be a new dizzy game it then suddenly dawned on us how what a difficult task this might actually be in the fact that People have created, I mean, there must be a couple of hundred fan, Dizzy fan games um, created since we made our originals. It was the and, most popular video game character in Russia in the 90s, um, and there are loads of Russian Dizzy games. Loads of people have done kind of Dizzy games over the years, and it kind of dawned on us that when this game gets produced and made and released, the last thing we want is for people to say, yeah, it's all right, but I prefer Fantasy World Dizzy, or... Yeah, it kind of is an average one or it's a bit below par and it's taken them 20 years to kind of come up with this or 27 years and it's kind of not very good or uh, it doesn't really compare to some of the, even the fan games. And we're like, oh my God, we could actually, if we get this wrong, it could be really bad for our reputation and for Dizzy's reputation. So we suddenly realized that actually what we were signing up to was we weren't signing up to making another Dizzy game. We were signing up to make the very best Dizzy game that there has ever been. Uh, and if we don't do that, then there will just be criticism of, of people basically taking um, side swipes at it and saying the other the older games were, were better. But so, we can proudly say that hasn't happened. We can proudly <laughs> say that, um, looking at all the reviews and the things, everyone is saying, wow, this is the best Dizzy game on the spectrum. Well, I was actually watching um, Kim Justice's video about it the other day, and she did like a 15-minute um, review of it. And, you know, she said, as a lifelong Dizzy fan, it was her favourite Dizzy game ever. And I think, you know, I've seen a lot of that people saying that, you know, just how much they enjoy it. And there must have been a lot of pressure on you guys to deliver the goods, I guess. Absolutely. And when we actually did that uh, fun video saying, we're going to make a new Dizzy game, we we hadn't really realized how important it was to make it the best dizzy game so over the next few weeks um we were kind of slightly concerned and worried about how we were going to do this i mean we had a day job and we were sort of busy doing the day job but in the back of your mind it's oh god we've committed to doing this and oh god i don't know what it's going to be and oh dear and then um i had a sleepless uh, night um about this and just in the middle of the night i was kind of lying there not being able to sleep thinking We've got to base it on some kind of classic old story because that's... That's what they all are. 
Well, that's what a lot of the Dizzy games, some of the best bits of the Dizzy games have been, like the Jack and the Beanstalk we was used for Fantasy World Dizzy and things like that. And I was thinking, we've got to base it on some classic old books. So what classic old books are they that would resonate well with people? And then it suddenly dawned on me, Wizard of Oz. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute, Wizard of Oz? So you go to this magical world, which is all bright and colourful. Yeah, that works. And then you've got these characters who have been recast. So in the original book and the original film, it's the farm workers from Kansas are all recast as the lion and the tin man and the witches and all this. And all those characters get recast. And I'm like, we've got the yoke folks and they get recast. Now, let me just uh, work out. We've got Dylan and Denzel and Dora and Dozy and wait a minute, they absolutely map to the number of characters we need. you got Theo, who's a wizard of Oz. With one exception, and that is Dizzy changes gender. Yeah, that's right. So um, you've got, in in Wizard of Oz, you've got Toto in ours, we've got Pogi, Dizzy's pet. But yes, um, uh, Dorothy in the original book isn't required, we require Dizzy. <laughs> and so that's the one swap out. They both start with D, uh, but yes, a bit of a gender change. Um, but then all the characters just play perfectly um, with the the good witches of the North and South being uh, Daisy and Dora. You've got Dylan, Daisy and uh, Denzel as the Tin Man, the Scarecrow and the Cowardly Lion. You've got Thea who takes the role of the Wizard of Oz. You've got Zax who takes the... Actually, there's a sex change there uh, who changes into the Witch of the West. Uh, the Witch the uh, is the Witch of the... East is killed, isn't it? And the Witch of the West is the one that's now alive and very, very angry that you've killed her sister. Um, And then, of course, you've got the Munchkins. So all the characters actually mapped perfectly. And as I lay there in my sleep, like not being able to sleep, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is absolutely perfect. And I went into Andrew the following day, all excited, thinking, you've got to go for this. You've got to go for this. I'm so excited about this. And I actually um, sort of told him all about it. And he was like, yeah, this is a perfect fit. And actually, you know what? The other interesting thing is, the more we looked at the story and the construction, the more we realized that actually it's a puzzle solving. It's a, the story is a puzzle solving story where he's got to solve all these puzzles. And like, that's what Dizzy is. I actually wonder if in the back of our minds, as we grew up, and that was one of our favourite films, if that was kind of the inspiration for Dizzy, is like one of the main inspirations, but we never actually consciously thought about it. But subconsciously, maybe it was there um, that we'd grown up with this, of little tiny kids, like with all these fantasy characters. Um, but I, I can tell you that it, it wasn't consciously there because if it had done, we'd have done it years ago. <laughs> we'd have thought about it. I, I just love the idea that maybe Wizard of Oz actually inspired the first Dizzy. That, that's quite meta when you think about it, isn't it? It, 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 kind of, it kind of is. And the other thing about the um, story is, so first of all, you've got all the puzzle solving um, and you've got um, the, the actual map itself. You start right in Munchkin Village, which is in the heart of the uh, wizard, the, well, the wonderful world of Oz. It's right in the middle, and you can go north, south, east, or west. I mean, it just works perfectly for a busy game where you're having to traipse backwards and forwards and find the objects and trade the objects and all this kind of stuff. Um, and there's some really nice um, back uh, morals, kind of in, uh, like uh, moralistic tales in uh, contained within Dizzy that actually it's within all the characters themselves to solve their own problems, even though you don't think that at the beginning, because at the beginning you believe that the Wizard of Oz holds all the answers. In fact, he doesn't hold all the answers. It's you and your friends who actually can all help uh, each other 
Um, and it, it's just the, all the sort of um, self self-reflective um, realizations within the characters is actually really funny because the, one of the things that people loved about the Dizzy games is familiarity. It's like you're making puzzles and you're making stories, but puzzles can just be obscure. You don't want, when we first designed it, we didn't want puzzles, which were find the key to a certain door. Cause that's just boring. We wanted a story behind the reason why. So the magic bean what, what do you do with a magic bean? Now, come on. It's like, everyone knows it. Everyone knows that you grow beanstalk. And, but why would you grow a beanstalk? Well, because it gets you to the cloud. Well, what? So you climb a beanstalk to get the cloud? Well, what's at the top of the cloud? Well, clearly a castle with a giant. I mean, everyone <laughs> knows this stuff. And I think doing all those little touch points all over the place works really, really well. And that's, I think, the familiarity, but retold in a different way. I mean, somebody did it much better than us, much bigger than us, and that is Shrek. (laughs) (laughs) We were at Blitz Games. We were approached to do the the PlayStation game of Shrek, and we actually turned it down, which is one of those things where you think, we were just too too busy at the time. Uh, It was was that or Frogger, um, and Frogger came with a much bigger budget, Frogger 2, and and Frogger uh, Frogger 2 did actually do do very, very well. But I think Shrek could have done even better, but we only had, you had to have teams of people available to sort of work on these to make sure that you release them on time, and we had one team available and two opportunities, and it's like, oh, which one to take? Is it Frogger 2? or is it Shrek? And it's like, yeah, um, and we did a, a lovely version of Frogger and it worked really well, Frogger 2. Um, but then we do we did see the success of Shrek. And you've got to remember, we did a lot of film licenses. And when you first start talking to um, the, the big studios about new films coming, you don't know what is coming, the heritage and, and, and what is behind it. Well, this, how, big, how big the things are going to be. I mean, Shrek yeah. did actually take everybody by surprise. I mean, this is the studio that had just created Ants. Yeah. So, like, do you remember that one? Yeah. I'm, like, I'm not, not going to go into Shrek, but I do know it was originally for Chris Farley, wasn't it? And then it went on to Mike Myers. Yes. So there was a lot of kind it, of it changes with that. When they talked to us, they had no talent attributed to it. It was just, we're making this movie for like 18 months' time. Whereas when we did Chicken Run, because we did Chicken Run around the same time, I think the Chicken Run was the next one that we did, it was like Ardman. And we just absolutely love Ardman. It's like, we're doing it. We're signing up. It was like, there is no doubt that we are doing this. Because we could see heritage and the credibility and we wanted to be a part of it shrek it's like mm, it's a bit random and you've got no talent attached and it's from a new fairly new studio and who created ants and we're not and we're not fan, fans of ants <laughs> well talking of teams as well um dimitri was the lead on uh crystal kingdom dizzy and Correct. uh he was kind of inspired by dizzy when he was a kid as well and he's now involved in your latest game as well no absolutely he he pulled the team together and acted as producer and made sure that everybody was kind of um doing all their different roles with the eugenie um mainly doing well on a hundred percent of the code actually and he's done an amazing job on it i mean he's got more he's squeezed more out of a spectrum speed wise and the volume of gameplay squeezed in such a small amount of memory than I thought was possible. Um, it just seems incredible that he could squeeze it all in. And then um, there were a bunch of artists, including Gerard, who is actually um, 
based in Nottingham, but actually he did the original Crystal Kingdom Dizzy gra- graphics. So that was, that was quite fun getting him involved. And there were a bunch of other people that, that Dimitri actually pulled together. And what was it like for you guys? Because, I mean, obviously the, the games back in the day, especially those early games, whether it was just, you know, a, a couple of people working on it, being part of a bigger team. So, I mean, from what I understand, you guys did most of the design of the game, but they did the implementation. Is that right? That's absolutely. So it was a very different experience because you talk about a bigger team, but we couldn't see them. I mean, um, basically we were using um, uh, Dropbox and Google Docs and uh, Facebook Messenger uh, to talk to people. But actually what happened was that once we thought of the idea of the wonderful um, Wizard of Oz, it was incumbent on us to create the full design and then hand it over. So we weren't actually working all together. I mean, back in the old days when we were making a game, um, everything would move forward together. The code would move forward, the graphics would move forward, the sound would move forward, and the design would move forward, and they'd all go forward in tandem. What actually happened with this was that for the first four, five, maybe six months, it was just down to me and Andrew to do a full design, and we had to do it completely without reference to any code there was no code around and without reference to graphics or anything obviously we know dizzy so we knew roughly what was possible so um i drew every screen andrew worked out an overall map i drew every single screen in we then worked out where all the puzzles were and what all the characters were and where they should sit and 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 sort of where objects should be found and then taken and then Having worked out all of that, we had to communicate it. Um, so, in fact, we did as well because the script was the oh. one that had to get cut back because you you went for it a bit too much with the script. <laughs> uh, yes, I, well, I actually thought it was really important. I think um, people buy into characters, um, and so we made sure we had lots of good characters. And obviously, the Wizard of Oz has lots of good characters. We managed to add a few more in as well, like the donkey and stuff, and Rosie, uh, Rosie the Tinker, um, but. The we wanted to make sure I wanted to make sure that all of these characters had personality, but they were humorous as well, and they said different things if you kind of revisited them. Um, and trying to squeeze all of that into a spectrum one to eight um, was quite a challenge. And in fact, my word count, um, uh, I think the Excel spreadsheet was more memory just in raw text than one to eight k. I mean, there were more characters than could ever fit. And that was just the text of the scripts. And it's like, so you can't actually now afford any space for code, graphics, or music. <laughs> so anyway. How, how times have changed? Because obviously we grew up with this stuff, trying to fit everything into a small memory. Um, and you're not thinking that text takes up much. But then we've built like many console games since. And it, it's all your 3D graphics and animations and um, sounds and music that take all the memory. And Philip's writing a script. And they're going, oh, oh no, can you like can you shave 100 or 200 um, characters on? Yeah. Like, that's got to yeah. come off the script. And Philip's going, can't it come off of the graphics? And it's like, well, we could knock a couple of sprites out, but it's only going to save you kind of 30 bytes, whereas you can <laughs> like, cut 100 bytes off a script quite easily. <laughs> anyway, so so the, the script is actually bigger than would fit 
um, into the spectrum, and it is bigger than, than fits into the spectrum, just in one character equaling one byte. However, Eugenie um, did some amazing compression and managed to get it compressed, I think it was 54% down, which then gave him enough room to put the music, the code, the graphics, and all the gameplay in. Um, and all I bet you wish you had him on your team 30 years ago. Do you know what? I mean, it's certainly some of the techniques he's used are absolutely fantastic, but... Uh, but everybody's got the benefit now of being able to easily learn from each other. So there was no internet. There was no um, communication of what are the best te- techniques, uh, uh, coding techniques or graphic techniques or, or even finding other people back in when we were doing it. So when we wrote some Spectrum code, we just had to work it out ourselves. You couldn't sort of Google and say, okay, how do you write a, sp- a sprite routine? How do you do this? How do you do that? Or are there some brilliant artists out there on Spectrum that will give us some stuff? It's like, no. I mean, I think it was um, things like the the music that for the first Dizzy game was um, um, a neighbor, sort of two, two or three doors down the road, because it's the only guy that we knew who knew anything about music. Um, and we, so, we, so we basically set him up with a computer and said – can you see if you can make this make some music? And that's John Paul Eldridge. And he did. And it's brilliant. Uh, it's still my ringtone to this day, that original piece of music he wrote. Um, and he did an absolutely sterling job. Um, the uh, the graphics, quite often it was us doing the graphics. I mean, d- the Dizzy graphics is me um, doing doing the, the graphics. And I'm not really a graphic artist. Um, and, and can because I that's all we could find. It's changed significantly because we were using sort of DOS and a text editor type of uh, affair and we couldn't have loaded like pictures into anything. And it's like, it's, we, we made the, the reason we made so many um, games compared to other people is we went and made our own tools. Um, some of our first games, which do, do sort of count uh, towards our sort of count of uh, 50 is we made and sold uh, an art package and a sprite package, uh, a flipbook animation kind of engine thing that would make games. So we had tools. So we made tool sets that we then sold, um, which helped us because, and nowadays it's like, well, I'm sure these artists and they probably wrote half the code using visual studio um, and certainly loaded up the graphics we did in Photoshop. Uh, which is actually quite hard to get Photoshop sort of to only display 8-bit colours and stuff. So actually you're trying to hack it back to not be so powerful. I was going to say that um, one of the kind of features of the Spectrum Next is uh, avoiding colour clash, but um, you guys obviously wanted it on all Spectrum models. And to keep it, um, were you thinking of ever doing a version that didn't have colour clash? Um, So... Right. When about 10 years ago, we thought of doing a, um, was it 10 years? No, it must be. God, it's 20 years. God, time flies. When the PlayStation 2 came out, so we're talking about 2002, 2003, I think it was, when it's kind of become a mass market console. We wanted to do a new Dizzy game. We did a pitch to Codemasters about doing it. But actually, uh, we we were expected to do 3D because that's what cons- people expect of consoles, um, especially ones linked to the TV and especially PS2. Um, and the 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 cost of doing all the graphics and everything is extreme. So when we came up with the concept of doing a new Dizzy game, the fact that we were constrained by what a Spectrum could do was great. And when um, we were looking at the Kickstarter specification and the fact that the Spectrum Next just kept increasing the specification, it's got got more RAM, it's got more graphics, it doesn't have to have this. We were like... Actually, there is an art form in actually trying to squeeze it into 
the original um, hardware specification. And so we had a conversation with Dimitri because they'd obviously just, um, and Eugene, they'd obviously just squeezed Crystal Kingdom into the original Spectrum. Uh, so they weren't used to using the new uh, power that the Spectrum Next gave them. But actually, the other problem was that when they started development, that dev kit wasn't ready um, and it wasn't stable to actually develop on. So in a conversation with them about the fact that they didn't actually have stability in the code, in the actual hardware that they were writing on, the new Spectrum Next, um, we actually decided that it would be a good idea to actually squeeze the whole lot into an original Spectrum 128, which we feel is a real art form, squeezing it all into there. And then once we ship that, then we'll try and do a Spectrum Next version with enhanced graphics and capabilities. You've got to remember, everyone was doing this as a hobby. I mean, um, the game is available for free. Um, I mean, you can play it on, on the website um, and and you can go and play it on the Spectrum Next and original Spectrums if you can find one and get download into it um so it's been done as a hobby project and the one thing as we've spent our entire careers writing um games on consoles is that the bigger and better the console is like the more expensive the development is (laughs) we've had some insane conversations over the years with some producers and i mean we'd go from one console to the next you'd go from say a playstation one to a playstation two and i remember distinctly it was one of the film producers a disney one or somebody um and they were saying so a playstation 2 is far more powerful um than a playstation 1 so it will look much better and and your tools are more powerful so you could write things easier um so therefore it should be cheaper and we're going what and he said well it will be cheaper to make the playstation 2 version because everything's moved on and you've created all this technology and we said if you're making a playstation 1 game on a playstation 2 yes it will be cheaper and easier but you can't release that quality onto the playstation 2 it's like everything has moved forward everyone expects more and so now like on a playstation 1 you'd have a 3d character that used 500 polygons and like this sort of uh, memory and it's now going to be four to five thousand and the complexity is so much more and it's expected and it's not going to be acceptable so we said like twice the power usually is about four times the cost of production um every time you sort of jump up and throughout the lifetime time of the console um all the developers get better tools and then get faster and and slicker and the costs come down over time and then there's the next big jump you jump to the next thing and it's like suddenly a huge amount of more memory now you're expected to do real-time lighting and smoother animation and you've got no excuses for using multiple textures and materials and layers and it's like everything just jumps up and jumps up and the costs just go through the roof and, and that's why today game studios are like movie studios aren't they the massive the teams that work on massive. them i mean assassin's creed is literally thousands and thousands of people work on it and that's when they've got all the previous versions so they're iterating and iterating on an engine and stuff they do change subject occasionally um subject matter and they have to do all their assets again but they literally have thousands of people on it um so one of the things is it's actually nice and i i feel for the, all the indie studios 
all the little indie studios that are making games on something like an Xbox. It's like, where do you, you've got to find a niche and find a size that you're comfortable with that you can make with your little team. Um, it's actually why it was quite nice when smartphones came out because suddenly lots of little teams like sprung up from all over the place going, oh my God, it's acceptable to do 2D games and small games. Um, but you know what? Even some of the flipping mobile games now are made by like teams of 100 people. I mean, it's, yeah. it's insane. Um how powerful these things are and what people now expect. Well, you know, going back to Wonderful Dizzy and that colour clash that Ravi mentioned then, I mean, that was one thing that I, I noticed in the game. In the originals, I mean, we kind of saw colour clash on the spectrum as a bit of a flaw, but you actually used it to your advantage in the new game. It's more of a feature now, isn't it? Uh, I have to say it is, and it is absolutely amazing what they've uh, achieved. And you kind of look back and think, God, people could have been doing this back in the 80s, but they kind of weren't. But I don't think me and Andrew can take any credit for that. I think that's down to um, the the Crystal Kingdom Dizzy team, um, Dimitri, uh, Gerard, and I can't remember the other artist's name, um, and I should, and it's terrible. Um, <laughs> um, but it, they're the ones that should take all the credit for the graphics. I mean, it really is uh, amazing. But it's an art form. It's a real art form to work within such limitations to make it look so amazing. Um, it is very funny because Philip put into the script um, some joke about this. So obviously... <sighs> This is going to be spoilers, but it is kind of funny. And that is the whole thing starts and Spectrum games do have a problem with colour. So Dizzy starts in his hut and the whirlwind has just happened that you've seen in a tiny kind of montage cutscene type thing. Um, and it starts and it's all one colour. It's just a sort of the, the way... Black colour. and white, black and white, like the original movie. Yeah, it's like the original movie, but it's also like old Spectrum games. A lot of Spectrum games just go, oh, we can't be bothered with colour. It's just too difficult. It's like everything will clash all over the place. So he starts and then the, like the first puzzle is kind of get out the house and you're in Munchkin Village. And we all know that as you open the door to Munchkin Village, everything becomes colourful. So it flicks the screen, which is unbelievably colourful. And it says, wow, I must be somewhere over the rainbow. It's so unbelievably colourful in a weirdly kind of attributed sort of way. <laughs> but it's just really funny. Um, but we, we made a joke of it and it is used throughout the game to such an advantage that it was actually an advantage to have those restrictions because you appreciate how clever they've been with it. Whereas nowadays you can just be lazy and just like any colour goes anywhere in any shade. Um, which is a different type of artist. Uh, yeah, so the game's free and uh, the ROM's available on a website. Why did you just decide not to charge for it? Why, um, for a start, um, everybody that uh, contributed towards it gave their time for free. So it, it seems wrong to then charge for it. Um, but we're also digitally distributing it. Um, this wasn't, this is a gift for people. And that's one of the reasons why we were really keen to get it out for Christmas as well. Um, it was just a gift for the sort of retro community, really. Um, and that gift was all of our time and talent and effort um, to put this game together for the fans. Well, I mean, just quickly jumping onto the spectrum next version um i mean you did mention that was one of the inspirations for originally coming up with the concept of the game and you know i was reading stuff about a version on the next that was going to have some special enhancements for that platform but um i read there's been a bit of a change of plan i mean what's kind of the story there with the the spectrum next version of wonderful dizzy 
Um, well, uh, the idea was to ship the uh, original 128K um, compatible uh, version of the game and then to move on and make the next version. Unfortunately, uh, due to some um, nasty trolling um, of the uh, main programmer and the dev team, um, they were criticised so heavily for not having made the game exclusive and only available to Next users that that actually really offended the team, to the point that the team said, well, sod you, you're not having it. Um, so now there won't be a special next version of Dizzy, unfortunately. Um, I did try to talk them down. I did try to get them, the... Uh, Everybody sort of come round uh, to sort of praising them for what they'd done and thanking them and trying to bring them round. But I guess the people that had insulted them chose to leave the insults there and they didn't apologise um, for, it's, it's, for, for the way they got treated. Which, it, which it, when it, you think of how many hours and the talent these guys gave for complete free and the criticism was, you let everybody have it when it should have been exclusive to us. Because we backed the spectrum, and it's like it's a gift. Let everybody have it. It's free. Get over it. Yeah, because there was a lot of people that were saying that they bought the spectrum next, and they were the really hardcore fan base that didn't mind spending a lot of money, and they believed that this was an exclusive game that was only on the spectrum next. And when we put it on the website and said it's free, you can play it on the website, that offended. Um, and there's, they just went on a massive rant, um, and it just upset some of the team. Um, which I don't know, people really do need to think about how if you put your life and soul into something and then somebody insults you or just takes thing, it can be quite hurtful. Um, Very hurtful. And it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and especially when no one's getting rich off this stuff. I mean, people are working in the spare time. You're giving it away for free, you know. It's, it, so running up, to, running up to Christmas, um, I know that Eugenie and some of the others um, on the team they they pulled ridiculous hours in December to make sure that game got shipped in Christmas. So they they basically they pull these ridiculous hours. They didn't go into work, so they didn't earn any money from work and everything to make sure this game actually shipped on time. They sit back, look at their social media feed, and then just take a load of criticism for having given it away for free to people to to more people. So the people who wanted it got it and they got it for free and they loved it but then I, yes but then but but then for some reason they thought oh but it should have been exclusive to us we don't want other people to be allowed to play it and it's like why yeah. well, somebody put it on one of the websites it's like i'm not rich unless i know you're poor and it's like that's a really poor mentality to, for people to have and yeah i thought that was really low <laughs> well interestingly it's kind of it's it's blown up the spectrum next us because now uh, they've done the issue two and oh I know, you know, it, it, no, it's fantastic I mean what they've done with the spectrum next and the community and everything else it's amazing I mean I have to say we have got another one of our games in production for the spectrum next which is much more exclusive to it and that is Dreamworld Pokey uh, the first the first computer did ship with a demo of it and Lyndon Sharp um, uh, has taken the original game and enhanced it considerably um and it's getting close to completion and every now and then he kind of releases another build for the for the community um, but it's looking beautiful 
And it's amazing their new Kickstarter as well, because, you know, that hit over 5,000 backers and uh, over a million pounds as well. So um, absolutely fantastic to can see. Can I just say that that sounds, like a lot, that sounds like a lot of money? Actually, it isn't for launching a computer. People are I mean, not doing this stuff to get rich. Um, I mean, people are doing it for the absolute love of it. But when you make electronics and you send out real computers, that's what it costs. I mean, uh, we do know that the team behind all, all the sort of making of the hardware and it, injection molding and electronics and all the manufacturing it all comes with huge amounts of costs. Um, and no, they've, they've done very, very well. But if anybody thinks that a million, a million pounds made them rich, it didn't. It covered the costs. And we had Henrik on as well. And he said that actually, you know, they took quite a hit through um, tax originally on, on the system. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really good to see this raised. And also we've got a little bit of local pride as well, having it uh, being created in Nottingham. <laughs> Let's go. No, I mean, I, I, I'm back in number 1500, I think. I, I said to him, I can just go and pick it up if you want. I'd have to wait. It is one of the <laughs> wonderful things about Kickstarter is the fact that you have very passionate people wanting to do stuff. Um, and generally people aren't doing it to get rich. They're doing it because they want to do, do it. But things cost money um, and they're trying to cover their backs. Um, and it works. It's a really, it's really good. Well, it is fantastic that, you know, the, the first completely new Dizzy game in 28 years, Wonderful Dizzy, is available for everyone to play, which, you know, having as many people being able to play it as possible, I think is a fantastic thing. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes, play it on the website, download it, play it on the original Specky. I've got to ask, though, guys, any plans for any more new Dizzy games in the future? Um, unlikely. Um, more yeah. unlikely than ever, to be yeah. fair. Um, <laughs> So so enjoy this one. Um, well, first start, we know that if we created another one, it would have to be better. Um, you can't go back and go and for everybody to say, no, oh, I preferred the last one. Um, so it would be a very big undertaking. But the thing is, we're busy. We're doing other new things. Um, we've got a new business. Uh, it's in stealth at the moment. But we've got a big, big new project that we're working on um, that we way, way bigger than Dizzy. Um, we just can't talk about it right now. And the other thing is that we also share the copyright of Dizzy with Codemasters. And Codemasters is about to be acquired by EA. It's all just going through. And I don't think that's going to make the situation any easier to produce a new Dizzy game, unfortunately. Yeah. But what a game to go out with if it is the last one in the series. I mean, you know, everyone I've seen said it's been their favourite Dizzy game yet. So uh, everyone should go out and play it. You know, you've made it really simple for everyone to get involved and have fun with it. Um, it's always a pleasure catching up with you as well, Andrew and Philip. Thank you so much for coming on again. Thank you very thank you. much. Cheers. Yeah, thank you, Ravi, Dan. Cheers. Cheers.